Hey! Hello, lovers. How's it going, Caitlin? I'm good. I'm... I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty loopy, so this should be fun. Yeah, well, we've been recording some thematic episodes prior to this. I feel like we've been going for, like, over two hours. Yeah, usually we at least get up and stretch, but... The problem is where we podcast, which is in Caitlin's husband's office in this couch, we literally sit on opposite ends of the couch, laptop on our lap, mics in our face facing each other but once you get into the couch you can't get out you can't get out this trap because like there's all the equipment next to us so i'm just trapped in the couch like, i literally just texted my husband to bring me popcorn that's how much and I kill a spider it was huge it and was. i wouldn't have been able to reach there so yeah he's taller than me yeah well yeah i skipped the bathroom trip on this in between i just <laughs> it's too hard to get out of the spot <sighs> I, wish I asked him to bring me some water though okay i'll wait Anyways, so this is Feel the Love Friday. Yeah. Welcome. Love and a Romance Podcast, our Feel the Love Friday edition. This is for Friday, June 3rd. Before we even start, I just have to say that when this comes out on Friday, June 3rd, it will be my last day as an attorney at a law firm, Bill and Hours. Woo woo. So we're doing a little celebration dance. Woo woo woo. I am going to move in house. I know this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I'm just like really excited about this. I'm this is, happy for you. I'm really yeah, excited for you. Yeah, I am really excited. I'm still going to be a lawyer, but I won't be at a law firm. Mm-hmm. I'll work for one client in Seattle, and I'm fucking excited. For those of you who don't know, lawyers at big law firms bill their time in six-minute increments. Yeah, six minutes. And that is how Kristen has been living her life for the last four years. So Almost five, five years. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm ready to not do that. Mm-hmm. So... It's just a one long stretch of day. Yeah. Where you yeah. don't record anything. But I, I didn't think I was going to be able to move in-house this early in my career, and it worked out. Anyway, I'm taking a week between jobs, and I'll probably read lots of romance books, and I'm stoked. Amazing. So, okay. I also wanted to mention my recent trip through the TSA. <laughs> I also, yes, I have. I have it's actually not that funny. Home. I just want to bring it up. So I recently went to, from my first vacation in four years, my husband... My son and I went to Maui, and it was my son's first time on a plane, the first time he's really gone on a big vacation. And I ended up bringing my sex toys in my carry-on luggage. Wow, that's a ballsy move. Did you check bags? I did check bags. Why didn't you put them in the check bags? I didn't want them to get lost, I guess. Okay. I don't know. I also was curious to see if they would pull. Like, first of all, I would have zero embarrassment if they, like, pulled me over and they were like, what is this bag of stuff? Like, fine. But it made me think of the book that Mm -hmm. we talked about Mm -hmm. during the beach episode, which is called Mm -hmm. Hooking Up by Helena Hunting, because the heroine in that book has literally a suitcase of sex toys and she does get stopped by the TSA and they're like pulling out all of her glass dildos and butt plugs. Anyway, I did not get pulled over in the TSA. What's your story? Well, so I, we only brought carry-on bags for our honeymoon and I had a couple things in my backpack and I was wary of it because I was just afraid that it would happen. Would you have been embarrassed? No, but I just don't... I don't want to. I don't want to give the TSA a reason to question me, and I also just don't. I don't want to talk about it with strangers. Like it's none of their business, and it's just. I don't know. I'd rather not. I'd rather just seamlessly move through an airport having no one notice me. Right. That's like what you want. That's like that's a quality travel experience. It probably wouldn't be the weirdest thing they found in a bag. But my bag got pulled. Oh, did it? Yes. And he reached in (gasps) and pulled out my headphones, my like little running headphones in their little power beads case. And it was right next to my little silk black bag. And he didn't pull that out. He pulled that out and he was like, okay, I, 
I feel like maybe he saw the other stuff on the screen and he just decided he didn't want to pull that stuff. Like, I don't... Was it clearly noticeable what it was if it had gone through the screen? I don't know. I didn't look at the, yeah. the screen for okay. it, but... So yeah. the point is, I feel like this story doesn't really have... Uh, <laughs> there's no point. There's no point. But if you've ever gotten that stuff I would like to looked know. at at TSA, if, I would love to know. Yeah, if, I yeah. would love to know. I guess I was just thinking of the book, how she like had the suitcase of and they were like pulling them all out. And that did not happen to me. Yeah. So. Good, good, good. There's a story about Like I said, that's probably not the weirdest thing they've seen on an x-ray oh, and the weirdest sure. thing they've pulled out. So I, for sure. Also, we cannot be the only people that bring our toys and carry on. They're probably like, this is... Yeah. I was like, they're probably like looking at the x-ray and they're like, dildo, yep. dildo, <laughs> butt plug, nipple clamps. I like, don't think it's just, that frequent, but I don't know. Mm, there's a lot of... I don't know. Don't a lot of people use sex toys? Or We're is it need, still kind of like... I feel like not... I mean, not to travel with. I feel like the percentage. Why of people would you not travel? With the them? percentage of people who use them is probably already relatively small, and then the percentage. You think so, really? I, do I would like so. to invest in America. This. We're such a prudish country. Really? I guess I wouldn't yeah. think that. I know we should look it up. I do. And now I'm really interested to know, like, what the percentage of people who use them. First of all, I think if you use them, you would travel with them. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, well, if you do, you're probably fine. Yeah. Okay, you had a correction to make. Okay, this is not about book content, but my, <laughs> as we all know, my husband, Josh, edits this podcast, and I walked into his office earlier this week, and he was editing our hockey episode, which was published this past Friday, and I had said, I'm so grateful that my husband doesn't like sports and never watches them. <laughs> Apparently, he does like sports. <laughs> he stopped watching them. For me, because he knew that I didn't like them, and the man has not watched a single game in, like, five years. Oh my god, I thought you were going to do, like, an author correction, or, like, you no. mentioned a hockey position wrong, but literally, you did not know this about your own husband. I had no idea. Well, I would never have, like, I don't think I ever said, like... You did hey. say he likes hockey. I know he likes hockey, but I he's never put on a game, and I just assumed it was because, like, he wasn't interested. He also was very offended that you, that you said football was boring. He was like, if she thinks football is boring, it means that she doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> I was like, okay. That's exactly why I think it's boring. Right. By the way, Josh, is, that's why. No, <laughs> no harm to... So, to my husband, please put on your sports and watch them. I have no... I will go... He was like, well, why would I put something on that I know you don't like? I was like, dude, I watch romance movies all the time. Also, and you, you just curl up with a book on the couch and like face their different direction. I know, I'm always anyway. Yeah, that's what I, my, my husband's always like, do you mind if I put something on or like, can I put something on? I'm like, I'm not going to watch it anyway. I don't care what you watch. Exactly. So, I'm reading exactly. a book. So I feel really bad that he's spent five years not watching sports. And I think he should be encouraged to do that. And I'm more sad that he thought that he couldn't tell me that <laughs> or like yeah there's a lot them. of layers of sadness there I, I feel like there's a lot of layers of things you need to make up for I, somehow I know I know I'm gonna I'm do better feeling a grovel coming on <laughs> oh my god <laughs> this is not a trope my life is not a romance novel okay or so moving on to what we read this week I think only I have something to share I read a lot but it was all for a thematic episodes yeah. which aren't coming out for a bit so on my trip to Maui I actually took kind of a break from romance reading I read some like literary fiction but there were two books that I read that I just fucking loved the first one was Broken by the Horde King by Zoe Draven it is book four of her Horde Kings of Dakar series it is an alien romance mm. so did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Nope. Okay. Well, for the people out there that actually watched it, do you know about Khal Drogo? Do you at least, like, know... Nope. Do you know Jason Momoa? Nope. 
Really? <laughs> you don't know about, like, Khaleesi and Jason Momoa and, like, that sort of... Okay. Well, I feel like I'm not going to explain this. Is this, like, modern people? Or old historical people? <laughs> Game of Thrones is a fantasy series. Oh, I thought Jason Momoa might be, like, an actor. He is an actor, Caitlin. <laughs> okay. He plays Cal Drogo on Game of Thrones. That is. Anyway... He this plays is the most frustrated Kristen has ever been with because me. I just like don't want to explain all of Game of Thrones to right now. Don't. It's a different episode. Please don't. But my point is, Cal Drogo, the character that he plays, is the leader of like a race of people in the Game of Thrones world that are called the Dothraki, and they like they act kind of like a horde. Like they ride horses. They just basically wear like pants but no shirts. They all have really long hair. They're like very wild looking. But the series is, the, the planet is called Dakar, kind of like Dothraki, and the aliens in this travel in hordes. Each one has a king, so each one is a horde king, and they are very large, like larger than humans. They have very long dark hair. They have tattoos, like golden tattoos all over their skin. The men do not tend to wear shirts. It just made me think that, like, Zoe was like, I want to make Cal Drogo like an entire race of people like on aliens so if you liked Game of Thrones and the Dothraki you will fucking love this series anyway book four it's called Broken I found this book because I was in the mood for a grovel you know sometimes you're just in the mood for it the hero is Kieran he's a prince he actually does not live in a horde there are hordes they like move around and then there are little villages they're stationary. And so he is a prince in one of these villages. Mava is the heroine. She is a human. So it is understood that in this series, there are human settlements on this planet. But the Dakar people, like, largely are most of the population. And they, they kind of run things. Like, they are pretty much in control of the human settlements. Mava is human. She was left in the woods when she was a baby, basically. And some Dakar people came by and took her and ended up raising her. So she's the only human in this village, but she's basically like raised Dakari and like knows all of the customs and, and, you know, is completely comfortable with the civilization. She and Kieran grow up together and are childhood friends. She has always been in love with him. He's five years older. As he ages, he ends up going away to train because the purpose of him training is eventually he is going to become a horde king. Those are called Vorokars, but he's going to eventually have his own horde and like leave the village and go out and be a king of that. And she has been in love with him forever. And they see each other when he comes back. He comes back every year. Eventually, she confesses her love for him and she does it in a public way because the way they do it in that civilization is the single females in that civilization, whenever there's sort of like a festival or something, they bring a goblet to the table of the male that they want to like show their affection for. And if the male drinks from the cup, it means like, I accept you as my lover, even if it's just for like the cold season or something. Anyway, lots of females bring Kieran a goblet full of wine or whatever it is on this particular festival when he's like about to go and start his own horde, he's passed his trials, he's going to be a horde king, she brings one, and he rejects her. That bastard. Not only that, but like he follows her to like this secret place by the sea that they used to play when they were kids, and she like tries to kiss him and like basically like pours her heart out and he rejects her again, and he's kind of, he's like kind of an asshole about it. 
And then he goes away and runs his horde, and nine years pass. She becomes a healer during that time. Eventually he comes back, and he needs a healer for his horde because the previous one passed. She goes with him, and they end up developing a relationship. But a lot of time is spent groveling because she is pretty much like, fuck you. You rejected me. You embarrassed me. You made me think I was just like worthless because I was human and not Takari. And he really has to win her back. It was really fucking good. It was very steamy. I just really liked it. It's very angsty. Cool. So I, and I'm reading the second book of the series now, which is called Claimed by the Horde King. Also really good. I'm probably going to write it for the whole series. The second book that I read over my vacation was King of Battle and Blood by Scarlet St. Clair. I went on a bit of a vampire binge after I read this one. Like I won't talk about them here, but I've been kind of like reading a lot of other vampire books since then. This book reminded me of Jennifer Armentrout's vampire series, which now the name is escaping me, but it's like from flesh and blood. I don't know. It's like very popular, but that series did not connect with me. This one did. Adrian is a vampire king. It's, it takes place in a fantasy world. Isolde is a princess of one of these like states or territories. And Adrian, as Vampire King, is, like, starting to take over You really like the human kings these days. Yeah, I guess I'm into kings, I guess. I don't know. I don't like billionaires, but I like kings. It's different. It's a different vibe. Yeah. But they're, like, also billionaires. Sure. But, yeah, it's not their only feature. Yeah. Yeah, so he goes to take over the territory where she's a princess. And her, instead of taking it over, her father says, you can marry my daughter, Isolde. And then, like, we'll surrender, basically, and you won't kill all of our people. And so he's like, yeah, I want to marry your daughter. And she's like, what the fuck? She ends up traveling with him up to his territory. There's a lot of mystery involved in this series that I won't talk about. It is a series. The second book comes out in December. But it's definitely an enemies to lovers. There is kind of this undeniable chemistry between them. But she really challenges him at every turn. She is like... A sassy heroine she's also very much like a ruler like she's not afraid to like punish others and lead and it's just like it's a very good match but i really fucking loved it and i can't wait to read the next one okay you read one thing this i read yeah well i read book lovers by emily henry and um, you really liked it i i just i mean we already talked about it so i'm not even gonna mention it in the show notes but it's it's a book that i wanted to curl up in you know what i mean like those books where you're just you're just warm and happy the mm-hmm. whole time you're reading it i just love it did you it. actually cry in it because you asked me first if you were gonna cry i can't remember i think i might have cried towards the end okay news and updates yeah so a few things came out this week that i just randomly found and sound really interesting flip the script by lila lee it's a female female ya romance it deals with a k-drama it came out May 31st, and that's why I'm bringing it up because I know you, you've watched a K-drama, right? I feel like you're yeah. talking about one. Yeah, they're great. But I think this, like, takes place on, like, the set of a K-drama and, like, their, their actors and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cute. The other one is My Mechanical Romance by Alexine Farrell Fulmuth. It is a male-female YA, which means young adult, contemporary, and it looks a little bit nerdy. So, yeah, also came out May 31st. Okay, so June 6th, My Killer Vacation by Tessa Bailey comes out. We've mentioned this before. It's a romantic suspense, and it's highly anticipated for the summer. And June 7th, two books I wanted to mention, Stuck With You by Allie Hazelwood, which is a novella, and it's a male-female. Allie Hazelwood wrote 
The Love Hypothesis, which is fantastic if you haven't read it before. Very nerdy. Super nerdy. She is, I guess she was a PhD previously. Yeah, she's a scientist. Yeah. The Love Hypothesis deals with a PhD student and a professor, and it's excellent. It's very, very good. It was her first novel, and now she's got this novella coming out, so really excited about that. And then also on June 7th, Wicked Beauty by Katie Roberts comes out. This is a retelling of Helen of Troy. Katie Roberts wrote Neon Gods, which is a retelling of, what, Persephone and Hades? Yes. Right? And yeah. there was a second book. Yeah, this is part of, I think, I feel like it's called, like, the Dark, Dark Idols. Dark Olympus or something. Dark Olympus series. Like yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all mythology. Yeah, it's Made great. contemporary it's and great. should be plenty smutty. Yeah. Okay, the main feature of this week is a book that I've had on my bookshelf forever and just, like, re-emerged it for this podcast. Super excited about it. It is called Bonk. It is by Mary Roach. The full title of it is Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. And I feel like what I'm going to talk about, some of it overlaps with our discussion on that Netflix show, The Principles of Pleasure, which Mm -hmm. we discussed on our very first Feel the Love Friday. So this book is actually from 2008. Mary Roach is, I mean, she's obviously an author, but I don't know if she has like, she doesn't have a background in any of this stuff. She is just like a researcher and has an interest in in a lot of different things, mostly science related. Mm -hmm. And she researches, she writes about it, and she's very funny. She's like very humorous. The first book she wrote that really tugged me to her is called Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers, which is a micro history of basically like the study of death and, you know, what happens to the body. And like, maybe it's because I studied Egyptology, but like, I fucking love all that discussion. Um, so I had a feeling that Bonk was going to be very interesting as well, and it was. So this book talks about the study of sexual physiology and its history. A lot of stuff, as I said, connects to that Netflix show because a majority of the beginning of the book basically talks about how for the longest time, no one talked about sex and no Mm -hmm. one wanted to study it. You couldn't get money to research sex. It was not considered okay to discuss if you were doing any sort of study and you made a tangential study of some part of sex anatomy, like it was looked over. In the 1960s, there was a popular edition of a medical physiology book and it actually did not have entries for penis, vagina, erection, or ejaculation. Wow. Those things just didn't exist. You know, they want to ignore it. So if there were early studies of sex physiology, it was usually under the guise of gynecology studies, fertility studies, and venereal studies. Basically, like, how can we get around it? I think there is also this idea that if you studied sex, you're a pervert. Hmm. And I think people still think that about a lot of things. I'm sure they think about that, about people who write romance in some ways, and, and just basically anything related to sex now. So I feel like we have not let go. Well, we're also getting into an era where we're trying to ban books with adult content in them. So we're yeah. just fucking at the other... We're, and we've come full abor- circle. And ban abortion. Yeah, and we're so, just not even you know, something we need to get into. But. No, but, like, we're definitely taking some steps back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, much of, like, the early studies of sex were kind of done, like, behind the scenes or even, like, in secret because it wasn't considered okay to talk about. One person you may have heard of, have you heard of Albert Kinsey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you Kinsey know? scale? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think I've also read Bonk. I think I read it like oh, a decade you? ago. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, so he is most known for his studies on sexual arousal and the orgasm. He did a lot of his work in the late 40s and early 50s 
one of the big things he did was he surveyed 18,000 Americans on their sex lives, and he basically, like, studied that. And he had predecessors, like, people did work on sex physiology before him, but he sort of, like, did it blatantly, <laughs> whereas others kind of, like, went around it a little bit. An interesting thing I noted for him is Bonk talks about how he observed sexual encounters and like he would get really up close like people would be having sex in front of him he'd be like right there oh my god but in addition to noticing things like blood flow to the penis he also would notice like earlobes turned pink when you're aroused so there i think there's just like conception that he was a pervert but he was also looking at things that like a pervert would necessarily look at like your earlobes what happens to those during sex i don't know i'm sure somebody has a fetish i mean i'm sure i'm sure i'm just saying like this is basically a whole new world no one has like really looked at a lot of this stuff closely before one of the really interesting things i thought is because it was difficult to study sex it was really hard to get volunteers and so they basically like would study each other i feel like that's not a representative sample for your scientific research well like and also like people in their community like friends but basically basically it'd be like if you are at work and you're like working with 10 people on something but what you're working on is observing people having sex and be like okay well you get your wife bob oh my and you God. come and have sex and we'll watch you and then you watch me with my i don't know it's that's what they had to do because like they couldn't find people oh my god like it's obviously easy as they, as they would today and he observed like intercourse but he also observed things like masturbation like he just looked at kind of everything so some other interesting studies I noted, and this book is like 300 some pages, so like I'm barely covering like even a percentage of what it talks about, but in the 1980s, there was a study that confirmed that vaginal orgasms do indeed exist. Previous to that, it was only thought to be clitoral? Clitoral. What's the right word? Don't know. Clitoral, I think. Clitoral? I don't know. Previously, it thought that all orgasms were clitoral, so that's interesting. The most interesting study I found, so Princess Bonaparte, which I think was the niece of Napoleon Bonaparte, in the 1920s, she married someone who was actually gay, so they did not have a great sex life. She also had lots of lovers. They didn't really have great sex lives either. Basically, no one could satisfy her, and she was like, what the fuck is up with this? And one of the things she did, apparently, was measure the distance between her clitoris and her vagina. And she found it to be like three millimeters or something, which was apparently not very good. It's too far. (laughs) So she started her own study, which involved measuring the distance between the clitoris and the vagina of 243 women. Oh my God. And looked at that in relation to women who could climax during intercourse. It's not a vaginal orgasm. It's a clitoral orgasm, but during intercourse. And through that study, she determined that roughly an inch or the width of your thumb was the maximum distance basically like if your clit was more than an inch away from your vagina that you most likely are not going to have an orgasm during intercourse so yes this study was picked up later actually so this book was written in 2008 but at that time 14 years ago there was a professor at emory studying the same thing 
And the quote he says is, if the distance is less than the width of your thumb, you are likely to come. Nice. So, you know. I wonder if they have t-shirts with that. I don't know. But everyone, go home. Get your ruler. I kind of want to know now. So the author talks about how she <laughs> measured her own. And she was like, I'm really glad my husband's out of the house. Because if he was home, he would have walked in the room and saw me in front of our full-length mirror on my back with the, <laughs> with the measuring tape from his, like, toolbox. <laughs> She's very, she makes all this stuff, like, very, very funny. She has a lot of funny side commentary. But there's another researcher in the UK that is also looking at this, or was in 2008, but was looking at it from the perspective of, like, there's a ton of variation in the size and shape of women's genital organs, and the purpose of this UK study is to show that variety does exist, because, like everything else right now, women are subjected to image after image of what is ideal and in porn there are sure there's variations of women's genitals but there's not a ton there is an idealized form of women's genitals so much so that now like labia reduction is a thing is like a popular surgery did you not know this i'm literally well i have like i don't i don't really watch porn so i have like no concept of like an idealized vagina no that's fine if you don't know what that is but it's not impossible to believe that no no i get it in our so in our like everything that we're hit with like on instagram i just i just can't believe that's like another thing that women have to yeah exactly it's literally in my notes i was like this is yet another thing right i was reading reading something where it was like (sighs) i forget if it was a book or a show but basically like the woman wasn't from like that time or that universe or whatever and came in and was like you're worried about like the way your wrists look and like your hips and your boobs and like why what you have to worry about all this stuff like yeah it's, it's actually of, insane when you just like it's think a lot about of things yeah. yeah so now you can add your labia to that i guess I'm but not going to. but this uk study is like the purpose of it is to yeah. show that there's so much variation which i think is great so other cool things i'll mention that i just picked up some facts so this book talks about the anatomy of the erection uh, what was really funny is in the Middle Ages, they thought erections were filled with air, like a blimp. <laughs> I mean, obviously they didn't know what a blimp was, until Leonardo da Vinci came along and studied cadavers and was like, there's a lot of blood in this body. <laughs> Bet you it's filled with blood. <laughs> she was correct. Oh my god. <laughs> in the late 1700s, uh, men themselves were blamed for erectile dysfunction instead of like, you know, it's it's physiological or like something outside their control men were thought to have like a finite amount of sperm this is during the period where also like masturbation was seen as like very wrong and part of that was like use up all your sperm (laughs) it's gone it's It's just gone you're you're gonna run out of it and it was like a vital source of energy like a fossil fuel or something like if you masturbated too much you squandered it oh my god so other chapters discuss testicles penis implants there's a whole chapter on the clitoris Back to masturbation, I thought that chapter was really interesting because, again, in, in the 1700s, they did not like masturbation. They well, a it, lot of communities still don't approve No, they don't. Okay. But, but in the 1700s, they thought it caused blindness, mm. heart trouble, insanity, stupidity, which were both medical frankly, terms Frankly, not then. masturbating is a little more likely to cause insanity. Well, yeah. So that's what this book then goes on to say. They go to look at, like, whether masturbation is good for your health. Along with that, like, she visits a sex toy manufacturer, which was kind of an interesting little... I definitely read this book. I remember You that. did read this yeah. book? Yeah. She also talks about masturbation therapy for women. Have you ever heard of hysteria? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in Hippocrates' day, Hippocrates, Hippocrates, in the world of the ancient Greeks, 
women. Hippocrates? Hippocrates. Thank you. I was like, that is definitely not the you right You kept way saying it. I was like, I don't. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like something. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. thank you. That's. That sounded wrong. My house. Aren't you like the art, the like the history major? Okay, listen. Me and Caitlin go to to trivia, and because I studied ancient civilizations (laughs) like fourteen years ago, anytime any question comes up that's like translate this word in Latin, Caitlin's like, Kristen knows this one, and she like the whole team turns to me, and I'm like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, you were not helpful at all. Yes, because I don't fucking know. It was a long time ago. I studied ancient Greek for like two Fine. semesters. Okay. Anyways. Hippocrates did Hippo- what? In Hippocrates' day, women were thought to suffer from hysteria. And to cure this, they used basically masturbation therapy on women, which was like genital massage. It like was considered other people? Yes. It was considered oh. a medical treatment for sexually frustrated uh, women and the diagnosis of hysteria carried on up through the middle of the 20th century. This is something I already knew about from my studies of history, but by the look on your face, maybe you didn't. Well, it just it just sounds like medical. So yeah, thing. yeah. So um, it's making me uncomfortable. But medical texts for centuries talked about this condition, and young widows were thought to have be especially susceptible to it. Um, they also called it womb fury, which frankly is a way better term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I can stand behind that one. And they thought that if you didn't cure your hysteria, it would be venomous to your brain to carry that much sexual frustration around around. It could only be cured by climax. I mean I get it. Yeah. No, I to- I totally get it. And I like, much prefer this to the like don't masturbate or you'll go to hell. Oh yeah, yeah. And version. actually what I really love about Womb Fury is like I get like I get that you're sexually. That's like, like a movie. That's like womb just fury. such like instead of saying like yeah I'm turned on or sexually frustrated I'm like I have womb fury I need to go take care of it like I really like that. I like that it's a medical condition. <laughs> yes. You're like I yes. need to be excused for the day. <laughs> yes, I'm very sexually frustrated. Yeah. I can't work. But so through like the Tudor age through the 20th century they did pelvic massage. These doctors would do this. The earliest vibrators were actually sold to physicians what? for this purpose, but. One researcher actually looked at this to see, like, you know, are doctors getting off on this? Like, yeah, that's but what I want to know. This researcher found that a lot of doctors actually didn't want to do this job. Like, they didn't want that to be part of their job because they didn't actually connect the fact that the climax during treatment was, like, an orgasm. They thought it was, like, I don't know what they thought, but they basically, like, didn't connect it sexually, which I'm sure was not the case for every doctor. But just this researcher, like, looked at, I guess, a lot of scenarios and found that like a lot of people were like eh, i don't want to bother with that so i just like don't know how you could see someone orgasm and be like that's not sexual at all well they also thought people like the penis was filled with air so i don't know they didn't they knew less and they wouldn't go tell women to go home and masturbate because masturbation was seen seen was was shameful so someone else had to do it for you yeah but the end result basically well not the end result that treatment stopped, obviously. <laughs> Thank God. And the studies today now look at masturbation for its health effects. And studies do show that those who have regular orgasms have less stress, enjoy lower rates of heart disease, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and endometriosis. Really the cancer. And they appear to live longer. Cancer is interesting. I wouldn't have thought that would have a correlation. That's I can see pre- breast cancer and prostate cancer. I don't know. I think there's a connection with that. 
prostate cancer i get breast cancer i mean what is an orgasm exactly right it's just like it's blood pumping and like yeah i don't know I feel like it's, like, you exercise your body to get your blood pumping and moving and, like... Yeah, no, all the other things make sense to me. I just... Anyway, I, I need to read part of that yeah. book again, I think. And the last part I'll just mention is they actually... The book actually talked about a researcher who looked at orgasm for people who suffer from spinal cord injuries. Hmm. Which is something, like, I've wondered about, like, on occasion. Like, can people with spinal cord injuries have an orgasm? Yeah. And this researcher was like, does it matter where on the spine you were injured? Is it, you know, what if it's below a certain nerve or above? And what they found is it actually didn't matter where the injury was as long as the injury was, like, basically just to the spinal cord because I you think you probably know this from, like, studying yoga teacher training, but, like, there's an involuntary nervous system and mm-hmm. then there's a voluntary. Involuntary nervous system is, like, when you have to pee yeah. or, like, a bowel movement. So apparently, like, orgasming is in that. Interesting. Yeah. A part of that nervous system and so people who have no feeling in their legs from a spinal cord injury could feel an orgasm all the way into their toes what yeah that's super interesting yeah. and also thank fucking god yeah thank god because i that is like one of my biggest fears in life is to become like oh my par- god, me completely too. paralyzed me too. like in million dollar baby that's like my biggest fear and but, well I'm glad that, that orgasms are still a thing. Yes. But damn. That's really interesting. I'm glad yes. you finally read this it, book. And I, like I said, I touched on like a percent or yeah. less than a percent of what's in that book. Highly recommend it. Anyway, I don't have much more to share. So I guess. Yeah. Got a lot to mull over. So much to think about. And now I want to read this book, Bonk by Mary Roach. Yeah. I'm just having a lot of thoughts. Very it's introspective fine. right now. I know. Now. I'm like really thinking about it. <laughs> I feel it. like okay. you're like. Okay, even if I am paralyzed. No, no. Okay. No, I'm just processing all of it. It's just a lot of it's a lot of good information. Okay. Well that's it for today. Thank you for listening. You can find us love and underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram or hello at loveandpodcast.com. I'm Caitlin. I'm Kristen. And we'll see you next week for a thematic episode. Bye lovers. Go love yourselves. Oh, Sydney,